0: This is the Sunday Sermon Series for the fourth Sunday of Advent in the traditional Latin Mass calendar. The lesson comes from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. Brethren, let a man so account us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now here it is required in stewards that a man be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small matter to be judged by you or by man's tribunal. Nay, I don't even judge my own self. For I have nothing on my conscience, yet I am not thereby justified. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore pass no judgment before the time until the Lord comes. Who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness, and make manifest the counsels of hearts, and then everyone will have his praise from God. A continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was procurator of Judea, and Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, and Philip his brother tetrarch of the district of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John the son of Zachary in the desert. And he went into all the region about the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the desert, Make ready the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked ways shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all mankind shall see the salvation of God. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'd like to point out a few things in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He says, But with me it is a very small matter to be judged by you or by man's tribunal. Recently I was on someone else's podcast to talk about narcissism, both how to avoid becoming a narcissist and how to avoid narcissists. And I really think today's lesson Harkens back to the very notion that we must avoid the opinions of man and put God first. One of the points I made in this podcast was that your identity comes from having God as your father and the church of all time as your mother. St Francis of Assisi said what you are in God's sight is what you are and nothing more. And perhaps St Francis of Assisi was meditating on 1 Corinthians 4 when he said that. Again, but with me, it is a very small matter to be judged by you or by man's tribunal. Nay, I do not even judge my own self. So what we see in that is man's judgment of you means absolutely nothing, which is exactly why we don't have to try to be people pleasers. Often we have to take the less popular path as St. Paul did, as St. Francis of Assisi did. Both were called holy fools. G.K. Chesterton, who wrote an excellent book on the life of St. Francis of Assisi, said elsewhere we are called to have a hard head and a soft heart. I think that's very much how Saint Paul and Saint Francis of Assisi lived their lives. Today, there's way too much emphasis in the moral theology world on conscience. You've probably heard me say before that a moral act must have a right object and a right intention and have the right circumstances. Traditional moral Catholic theology says if even one of those is missing, the whole shebang is an evil act. Too many people say as long as your heart's in the right place, you can do whatever you want. That's not true. The object must also be good. The deed must be good for the whole act to be right. And this is why St. Paul, one of the greatest saints ever, who's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost here in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I do not even judge my own self, for I have nothing on my conscience, yet I am not thereby justified. Did you catch that? The great apostle here says that his conscience being cleared doesn't mean that he's necessarily saved. Why? Because he says, He who judges me is the Lord. And so he points out to the Corinthians, these fleshy Corinthians, coming from this great saint, he says, Therefore pass no judgment before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and make manifest the counsels of hearts. And then everyone will have his praise from God. So we definitely hear an admonition here to stop gossip, to stop judgment in our hearts, because we don't know what is behind the veil of every man's conscience. But even if he exonerates himself, it will be God who judges and who brings to light the things hidden in darkness at the end of time. You can see why St. Jerome, he's the one that they say placed these readings in the fourth century in the old calendar. You can see why St. Jerome places this in Advent that we all wish people could know the intentions of our hearts. We wish we could know when Jesus is going to return. But the fact is, in Advent, we must wait. We must live behind the veil of unknowing and walk by faith in expectation of the coming of the Lord. And then we turn to the gospel today. And one of the things I want to point out is Christianity, Catholicism, is truly the most historical religion. And this is why St. Luke places, or rather recognizes, that Jesus was born in history, this is why he names real Roman rulers who were ruling over Israel at the time. Listen how many names he gives us, both of Romans and of Jews at the time. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was procurator of Judea, and Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, and Philip, his brother, tetrarch of the district of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The Word of God came to John. And of course, this is talking about St. John the Baptist. We're now going to look at one of the homilies that St. John Chrysostom, arguably the greatest preacher of the Eastern Fathers, gave on today's Gospel, Luke chapter 3, 1 through 6, about 1,600 years ago. And as I read you his sermon, I'm going to intersperse some of my own thoughts in his own homily. So what is the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. That's answered in the homily today from St. John Chrysostom. He says, Luke says, And he came into all the country about the Jordan, preaching the baptism of penance for the remission of sins. Nevertheless, this baptism had not the power to forgive, this being the gift of the baptism that was given later. For it was in this baptism that we were buried together with Christ, and our old man was at the same time crucified with him, And before the cross nowhere hath forgiveness appeared, for this everywhere is attributed to his blood. Paul also says, But you are washed, you are sanctified, not through the baptism of John, but in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. And elsewhere he says, John baptized the people with the baptism of penance, but does not say of forgiveness, so that they should believe in him that was to come after him. Since the sacrifice was not yet offered, Nor had the Spirit descended, nor had the sin been wiped out, nor the enmity taken away, nor the curse removed. How could pardon for sin be given? So, what St. John Chrysostom says here is that St. John's baptism brought penance, but not forgiveness. Isn't that an astonishing delineation between the two? That this was very necessary for the Jewish people to begin to tell God they're sorry for their sins, but the forgiveness only came in the baptism. Of water after the death and resurrection of Jesus when these people were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So John's baptism was one of penance and the same baptism you and I received was the baptism of forgiveness. St. John Chrysostom says, what does the phrase unto the forgiveness of sin mean? The Jews were ignorant and unreflecting, nor had they a real sense of their sins. And while guilty of great wickedness, they spoke everywhere of themselves as just, which more than any other fault had brought about their ruin. This very much reminds me of Catholics today. We're so desperate for a win. We will rejoice if some athlete is barely Catholic out there. We're so desperate for a win to just have someone be part of the Catholic family that we forget being Catholic is no guarantee of salvation. We have to repent of our sins. We must humble ourselves. And we must be forgiven in baptism and confession. And how do we know what we have to repent for? We have to look at what the doctors of the church tell us is mortal sins. Not what just some priest that we go shopping for tells us. We must look to what the fathers say. This is very much like the Jews in the first century. They thought it was good enough to be part of the Jewish family. John the Baptist came saying, no, it's not. You have to repent. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, you must have penance. And then we learn from Paul and the apostles, now you must be baptized in water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit to then be forgiven of those sins of which you have repented. St. John Chrysostom continues, because their ignorance, he's speaking of the Jews, because their ignorance was the cause of their afflictions, John came. And for no other end than that he might awaken them to the knowledge of their sins. Even his clothing revealed this purpose, for it signified confession and repentance. His preaching, too, showed this purpose. For nothing else did he proclaim than that they should bring forth fruits worthy of penance. And because they would not turn from their sins, they turned their backs to Christ, as Paul had declared. For to reflect on their sins would awaken a desire for forgiveness, and the Redeemer would be sought for. John came to bring this about, to exhort them to penance, not that they might be punished, but that they might, becoming humbler through repentance, and by accusing themselves, hasten to seek pardon. Just before that, St. John Chrysostom says, Why so? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were of work. And as you've heard me say before, many Protestants misunderstand Romans 9, thinking that Paul is overturning the Ten Commandments as necessary for salvation. That is not true. St. Paul is putting faith ahead of works only in the sense that the 613 mitzvot, all those small aspects of the law that we read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, those are now defunct in the New Covenant, the New Testament, but the Ten Commandments are still very necessary for salvation. Look at the rich young man who came up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 and said, What must I do to be saved? It is Jesus Christ himself who says, Keep the commandments and you will enter into life. Many Jews rejected John the Baptist and Jesus because they thought it was good enough to simply be Jewish. Think as I read you this, from St. John Chrysostom, speaking of the Jews sitting on their laurels, again, how many Catholics sit on their laurels thinking, it's good enough that I have valid sacraments, I need not follow the traditional teachings of the church. Think again, as St. John Chrysostom says this, talking about the Jews living in presumption, how many Catholics today live in presumption. St. John Chrysostom continues, Nor could St. John the Baptist have done more had he gone from house to house, even leading Christ by the hand and said to all, Believe in this man. than he did now in the midst of all who were present and beheld him, lifting up that blessed voice and fulfilling all the other things. And so he came to baptize. The great fame of the Baptist and the circumstances of his appearance had attracted the whole city and brought them to the Jordan. And the multitude was very great. And for this purpose he strives to make humble those who had come, and shows them that they had no cause for this self-pride. And that unless they did penance, they were in danger of grievous afflictions, and that forgetting about their forefathers and putting away their boasting because of them, they should receive him who had already come. For their earlier expectations concerning the Christ had by now become vague, and many believed they were now ended because of the slaughter committed at Bethlehem. Accordingly, there was need of this striking introduction, and he did in fact awaken good desires among those that came close to him, so that even many from among the publicans and soldiers asked him what they should do, and how they might begin to put their lives in order, which was an indication that they, putting away worldly desires, were now looking towards other and better things, and beginning to have a vision of the future." Catholic parents my age and younger are really raising a better generation than ourselves because we were raised in modernism where so many kids today are actually being raised in apostolic Catholicism without vaccines or heresy or television. And let's go back to the gospel today. What does it mean when St. John the Baptist says, Make ready the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked ways shall be made straight. Well, there's four answers from the Church Fathers, two from St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom says that John the Baptist declares that the harshness of the law has been changed into the simplicity of faith, as if he says, No more do toil and grief oppress us, for grace and the pardon of sin make easy the way of salvation. So what St. John Chrysostom is saying here is that the harshness of the law is now giving way to the simplicity of faith. doesn't mean the New Covenant is easier, but it is more simple as we are given grace to follow the fullness of the commandments. St. John Chrysostom also says, Scripture gives to the vain and the proud the name mountain, and these the Lord has humbled. Hills, it applies to those who are without hope, not alone because of the pride of their own minds, but because of the sterility of despair, for the high hills bring forth no fruit. So what he's saying here is that under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, the prideful will be brought down, and the humble will be raised up. The third interpretation of these words of the Baptist come from Pope St. Gregory the Great. He says, The valley that is filled will grow, the mountain and the hill that is brought low will dwindle away, because in faith in Christ the Gentiles will receive the fullness of grace, and Judea, through the error of her pride, which hath caused her to swell up, has been brought down. So for Pope St. Gregory the Great, this is an analogy between the Jews and the Gentiles. St. Cyril repeats the words of the Baptist, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways plain. This is accomplished spiritually, however, through the power of the Savior. Before, the way of evangelical belief and living was difficult for men because worldly pleasures bore heavily on the minds of all men. But God, made man, has condemned sin in the flesh, Romans 8.3, and all things have become straight and unimpeded and easy to this end. The saintly line quoted by St. John of the Cross more than any other quote is by St. Augustine, who writes Love makes all savage and difficult things totally easy and almost nothing. Omnia enem seve et mania prosus facilia propenule nulla amor. Love makes all savage and difficult things totally easy and almost nothing. Of course, the Old Testament is just as inerrant as the New Testament. But we must remember that the Old Testament is just the shadows of the promises to come. And that morning star that bridges the night and the day is St. John the Baptist. St. John Chrysostom continues that the harshness of the law shall be changed into the mildness of the gospel. No more, he says, the sweat and pain, but grace and forgiveness for sin, thus opening wide the way of salvation. The prophet says the same thing. In other words, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. For as before this he spoke of mountains and valleys, meaning that diversities of nature are blended into one through the knowledge of wisdom, so here likewise by the differing natures of the brute beasts he means the diverse dispositions of men and foretells that they shall all be brought to one harmony of just living. And of course he's only speaking of the saved here. In one of my more recent Sunday sermons, I described how Jesus is described by the early fathers as a new Adam, but we see that St. John the Baptist is also. Living this prelapsarian, that's a big word meaning before the fall, St. John the Baptist is also a reflection of the prelapsarian life of Adam, the life of Adam and Eve before they fell in the garden. You will hear the word precursor here, which just means forerunner, which is the Baptist. St. John Chrysostom continues, And it was necessary that the precursor of him who was to undo the age-long burdens of men and toil, malediction, pain, and sweat, should in his own person give some token of the gifts to come, and stand himself above all these tribulations. And so it was that he neither tilled the earth, nor plowed the furrow, nor did he eat bread of his own sweat, for his table was easily prepared, and his clothing more easily than his table, and his dwelling more easily than his clothing. For he had need neither of roof, nor bed, nor table, nor any such like, But even while still within this flesh of ours lived an almost angelic life, his clothing was put together from the hair of camels, so that even from his garments he might teach us that we free ourselves of human needs and be not bound to this earth, but that we must return to the pristine dignity in which Adam first lived, before he had need of garments or of clothing. So his manner of dress was in itself a symbol as well of our dignity and of our need of repentance. Truly great was this man who dwelt in the desert as though in heaven, showing himself a model of true wisdom. From there he came to the city as an angel from heaven, an athlete of every virtue, crowned before the world, a philosopher of the philosophy that is worthy of heaven. If he who is so pure and brighter than the heavens, who is above all the prophets, than whom none greater was born among men, who had such faith, if he lived so austerely, wholly rejecting every delight, What excuse have we, who, after so many favors, though laden with countless burdens of sin, can show not the least part of his penance, but give ourselves to drinking and gluttony, softening ourselves by every means and making ourselves an easy prey for the devil? Let us, putting away all excess and drinking the healthy cup of moderation, live in a manner that is becoming and temperate, and let us give ourselves in earnest to prayer, And if we do not receive that for which we pray, let us persevere that we may receive it. And if we do not receive it, let us persevere the more, because we have received. For it is not his will to withhold the gift we ask for, but in his wisdom to encourage our perseverance by delaying it. So he delays the answer to our prayers, and even permits us to fall into temptation, so that we may then turn to him, and there remain with him. Thus do loving fathers and mothers of children act, when they see their little ones go from them to play with others of their years, they cause their servants to pretend to frighten them so that the children may fly back to the maternal arms. So oftentimes does God threaten us, not that he may inflict evils upon us, but to draw us to himself. And when we return to him, immediately he banishes our fear. For were we to feel the same security and temptations as when at peace, then there would be no need for us to be tempted. But why do I speak of us? for even holy men for this purpose were grievously tried. It is good for me that thou hast humbled me. And he himself has said to the apostles, In the world you shall have distress. And Paul implies the same thing when he says, There was given me a sting of my flesh, an angel of Satan to buffet me, who though he had prayed to be delivered from temptation, yet was his prayer not answered, because from his very temptation he drew great profit.